Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, I want to I want to wrap up this series I've been in on forgiveness. We began by talking about seeking forgiveness from God, and then we covered the topic of learning to forgive ourselves, which is tough sometimes. Then we talked about forgiving others, which is probably the hardest it, it, pro, a step in this process. And today I just want to kind of uh, wrap it all up. Uh, until we have a very firm grasp on the importance of forgiveness in our lives, which includes receiving it from God and then offering it to those uh, that we need to forgive, we are never going to experience any real success in our journey. And all of our journeys begin and end with forgiveness. God may have some different stops along the way for us, but the journey always begins and ends with forgiveness with a lot of little episodes of forgiveness woven in between. And at the end of each of our journeys, we're not going to be graded so much on, you know, how well we learned our church doctrines, how well we learned to properly worship and follow rules and things like that. It's going to be more about how much were we like Jesus. That's what we're going to be graded on, which in large includes being a forgiver. You know, there's always going to be sources of irritation in life that distract us from loving others. None of you have ever been there probably. But we have to grow up and mature in our faith. We have to learn to be forgivers or else we're going to miss out on everything that God has for us. We exclude ourselves. I'll tell you, how many of you have figured this out? The old devil, he is really good at putting people in our path that are tough to love. You don't have to shout out any names or anything. <laughs> Amen. This is a story. This is a true story that was in Reader's Digest. It's been quite a few years ago, but it makes a great illustration. It was sent in from a U.S. postal worker that works the counter at the post office. He said this old man came in the door, and you could just tell he was grumpy just by the look on his face when he walked in. And he find, when he got up to the window, he's holding this blank postcard. And he hands it to the guy. He says, I need you to write this out for me. No, please, you know, no asking, would you mind? Just, I need you to, just demanding. Well, the worker, he, he didn't say anything. He said, I'll be glad to do that. And so the, the old grumpy guy, he dictates this little note, and the postal worker's writing it on the postcard. And then when the guy finishes, the postal worker says, uh, is there anything else? And the old man grabbed the postcard and read it. He says, yeah. He says, uh, put a P.S. on this. Please excuse the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> Sometimes we meet people that are hard to love, don't we? Now also, sometimes people in their life put a lot of time and energy into learning to look very spiritual. And we can learn to look very spiritual. You know, during our times of praise and worship, during times of prayer, we can, we can learn to look spiritual by memorizing a lot of Scripture. I'll tell you, the Pharisees, they knew Scripture frontwards and backwards, and they were 
a rotten bunch. But what we really need to learn to do is be forgiving like Christ, and then everything else is going to fall into place. The Bible teaches us this. Nothing is as important as being in right relationship with God and each other. Not even our worship and our gifts that God has given us mean much to God if we're hauling around a a big load of unforgiveness in our life. And our Christianity, our, our relationship with God is a lot more about what we are than what we do. You know, we can all do all sorts of things that make us look good before man. But our final grade is going to be on what we are inside here. The, the text today is found in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Jesus has just begun to deliver the most famous sermon ever preached, his Sermon on the Mount. And let me read this portion. He says, You have heard that it was said of those of it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, as that began in, in verse 21, it begins by talking about a pretty big sin, murder. How many of you agree that's on our list of biggies? Murder. And I think it's making a point here that we all know, we all understand the seriousness of murder and we understand the judgment and the penalties that fall on those that murder. I think it's probably safe to say that most of us applaud the judgment and penalties given to murderers. Rarely do we say, oh, that poor murderer happened to go to jail. I've never heard anyone say that in my life. I mean, they've got it coming, right? That's another sermon, but anyway. Jesus is about to make a point here that is about to really rattle a bunch of cages. He's about to say that while most of us are quick to applaud the punishment of people who commit horrible sins like murder, he's about to say that there's a little hidden murderer inside all of us when we choose to hold grudges and remain angry and refuse to offer forgiveness to people that have wronged us. Now, again, I want to emphasize there, we have to remember, nothing is more important to God than our relationship with Him and each other. No particular style of worship is more important. No particular doctrine is more important. No amount of giving is more important. No particular religious affiliation is more important. So Jesus 
drops the hammer here in verse 22. And he says, anyone who even harbors hate or anger towards another is just as guilty as the outright murderer. Man, I tell you, if we really believe that truth, it should change the way we tend to, a lot of times, self-righteously view people who have committed what you know, we categorize as big sins. You know, and, and more specifically, what it should really do is it should change the way we view ourselves. When we refuse to forgive people of, you know, a lot of times it's just petty little goofy things that upset us. I have to tell you, life is way too short for us to busy ourselves keeping track of a list of things, you know, that we need to remember that people did to us so that we can be sure to get even with them. And as most people say, I don't get even, I get ahead. I think that's one of the points that Jesus is really trying to drive home here. And sin usually begins in the heart long before it becomes an outward act. Those sinful thoughts, they just kind of sit there and they roll around and roll around and they pretty soon they begin to ferment like a fine wine. And we all know, no matter how fine the wine is, if you drink too much, you are going to do something stupid. And while I'm on this subject, I'm going to throw this in for free. Here's another excellent reason why drinking any amount of alcohol is a bad idea. Because it clouds your ability to forgive. And forgiveness is so important in our lives, the last thing any of us need is something that clouds or hampers our judgment and our ability to forgive. Do that in for free. Who's glad you came to church this morning? All right. That's why forgiveness is so important. It keeps our hearts from getting all cluttered up with these sinful thoughts and ideas that are just going to ferment into something stupid. I'm just curious, how many here this morning are brave enough to raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor Doug, I have been angry and un refusing to offer unforgiveness in my life, and I ended up doing something stupid. The rest of you are just liars, huh? There's a story I like. I don't know if this is a true story. I heard it many years ago. It's about two monks walking through a forest in a bad rainstorm. I don't know what kind of monks they are. There's probably lots of different monks. To be honest, monks all kind of look the same to me. I'll probably have protesters in the parking lot tomorrow morning. But these two monks, whatever kind of monks they were, they're walking through this forest and they come across this really swollen, fast-moving creek and there was this young attractive woman who was trying to get to the other side, but she was just scared to death to get into this fast-moving water. So one monk, he offered to help. He went over and he, he said, allow me, he picked her up, carried her through that, that water, got to the other side, set her down, came back, and the two monks continued walking. But while they're walking, the other monk, he just, he keeps looking at this monk. He's annoyed. And finally, he can't take it anymore. He, he blurts out, you know, you got a lot of nerve. He says, as monks, we took a vow never to look upon a woman, much less touch a woman, and you did both right back there. 
And the other monk said, he said, my brother, it's true that I picked up that woman. He says, however, when I got to the other side of that creek, I put her down. You, on the other hand, continue to carry her around in your mind. Who is guiltier? Oh, those monks, they come up with some good ones sometimes, don't they? <laughs> yes, grasshopper. I don't even know if he was a monk or not. Yeah, yeah, he was a monk. He was a, I forget. As Christians, sometimes we're a little quick to condemn, you know, the big sins of society. We know, you know, murder, stealing, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, all, you know, all the biggies. We're quick to judge those, but how often do we run around holding grudges and anger against somebody? I mean, Jesus is telling us that when we do that, we are just as guilty as the murderer. And according to his word, it's going to flat keep us out of heaven. Is it worth it? There's no way it's worth it, right? No matter what someone has done to us. Jesus knew that in that crowd that he was preaching to, a lot of them were very, very religious people. People who claimed to be God's people, and they were probably pretty good at, at praying and giving their tithe, looking very spiritual. They probably helped the poor, went to church every week. I mean, pretty good people. But Jesus is telling them point blank that if they're harboring some unforgiveness towards anyone, they're going to be viewed by God as guilty as a hardline criminal. Pretty serious, isn't it? Jesus is our supreme example. He was always very quick to condemn sin, but he was even quicker to forgive the sinner. Sometimes we tend to get that reversed, don't we? We're real quick to condemn, but we're pretty slow to forgive. Even when Jesus was beaten and crucified, he never tried to retaliate. Can you imagine as they were driving those nails into his hands and feet, he could have called those 10,000 angels. Or he could have just thought, you people just drop dead right now and they would have. But he didn't do that, did he? As a matter of fact, right in all the midst of that incredible brutality, what did he ask God to do? He asked God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. Wow. That's a supreme example, isn't it? I wonder how many people in churches today are carrying around some old grudges, you know, bad feelings towards some people, but when they, they come into church, they have a little hard time entering into worship. But then instead of, a lot of times here's what happens. When that happens with people, you know, they've got some stuff in their life. It's hard to enter into worship. Instead of looking internally, I think a lot of times they look externally and they'll like blame it on something else. They blame it on the worship leader. Well, who could enter into worship with those songs? Hey, I know what I'm talking about. I was a worship leader for over 10 years. And then, so now we get to verse 23 and 24. 
And Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This next kind of mental picture that Jesus is putting in our heads here is this guy who he comes into church to worship and praise God and he's even brought a gift to offer to God. Maybe the gift is there out of, the, uh, out of his heart or maybe it's there because he wants to look good. We don't know. But Jesus, he doesn't say that this guy's a false worshiper, but he's just pointing out the fact that if there are people in our lives that we haven't forgiven, then all of our praise and all of our worship, it doesn't mean anything to him. It's meaningless. Another way to put it is this. Gifts mean nothing to God without godliness. Now, I'm going to say it again. Gifts mean nothing to God without godliness. Here's a good example. Hollywood is up to its ears with very, very gifted and talented people. But I think very few of them seem to display much godliness in their character. But in that same way, we can, you know, we can be gifted in the church. Maybe you're the best singer in the church. Maybe you're the best Sunday school teacher in the church. Maybe you're the biggest giver in the church. Maybe you have more scripture memorized than anybody else. But if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, none of that matters to God. The gifts become worthless. He would rather we drop all of our gifts and just go and make things right between each other, then come back and offer the gift and talent to him. Then it's going to mean something because we have obeyed his word. We've followed the instruction. Here's an important truth this morning. Worship and praise take a back seat to love and forgiveness. A lot of people reverse it. But worship and praise take a back seat to love and forgiveness. And the reason for that is because when we have unforgiveness in our hearts, we're just pretending to love. It's not real. It can't be real because unforgiveness and love can't reside in the same heart at the same time. And when we pretend to love, our praise and our worship is fake. Like fake news except it's fake worship. That's why God specifically had Paul write to that Pentecostal church in Corinth. Paul had to write a letter to that Pentecostal church in Corinth, and he, here's what he, I'm going to paraphrase here. He basically said, look, you people there in Corinth, in your Pentecostal church, I don't care if you speak in tongues eight hours a day. I don't care if you prophesy all night long. I don't care if you roll from one end of the church to the other. I don't care if you're swinging from the chandeliers. If you don't have love for others, you are just really making a very annoying racket. The character of Christ is always to freely forgive. And if we're going to be Christians, then we have to forgive freely. 
No one should have to beg us to offer them forgiveness. Because if they're having to beg us, we're not doing it right. You don't have to beg Jesus to forgive you. Aren't you glad you just ask him? He's ready and waiting to forgive. He just wants you to ask. Now, is this always going to be easy? No, it's not always going to be easy. In fact, here's the truth. It's probably never going to be easy. If you have to offer forgiveness someone, to someone, it means they did something to you, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't need to be forgiving them. So it's probably always going to be a little tough. But does, does that mean we can't do it? No, we absolutely can. It's, you know, it's, it's actually much easier to just learn how to praise and worship and appear spiritual than it is to learn to forgive those who hurt us. It's a lot easier to do the other. People who just learn to look like Christians, you know what they're, they're, what they're like? They're a lot like counterfeit money. People who just learn to look like a Christian, they're like counterfeit money. They look like the real thing, don't they? They can even circulate through society and through the church and be useful for a while sometimes. But here's the problem. They lack the real authority that they're trying to represent. Like counterfeit money. And eventually, they are discovered and they're found to be useless. Verse 25, Jesus instructs us to be peacemakers. Come to ter terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. You know, just a little earlier in his sermon, Jesus had already kind of pronounced a blessing on those who would be peacemakers. You know, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And right here, he's trying to drive the point home just a little bit further. His point here is that when we're at odds with someone, we should do everything we possibly can to restore relationship. The longer a quarrel goes on, the uglier it gets. Who's figured that out? The sooner it's resolved, the less collateral damage is done. I've figured that one out. Early in our marriage... Janet and I would sometimes get into a disagreement. I know that probably doesn't happen to any of you. We'd get into what I will call a disagreement. And sometimes, boy, I'd just get stubborn. I'd say, I'm not giving in. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm sorry. I, tell you, I know I'm right on this thing. And uh, that's the way it's going to be. Until she buckles under. Tell you what, she is small, but she does not buckle. And I have learned in my later years, I've smartened up a little bit. And I have learned when an argument begins, hey, a lot of times I say, you know what, hon, you're right, and I am wrong. I say that. There's two reasons I say that. One, it ends the argument quicker. And secondly, she's usually right, and I am wrong. <laughs> so I say it. But just like our need for salvation, 
The sooner we decide to reconcile with God and receive His salvation, the less pain and suffering we're going to endure because of bad decisions we've made. The thing that's interesting here is that Jesus never even addresses the issue of who's right and who's wrong. He's just interested in restored relationship. In other words, we might be right or we might be wrong, but the important thing is that we're right with each other. That's the deal. This is a big problem in my opinion. This is Pastor Doug's opinion, it's all it is. The United Nations. The United Nations, I feel, has been relatively ineffective in a lot of ways because the first thing they do is they always send in peacekeepers. We're sending in a peacekeeping committee. The problem is, instead of sending in peacekeepers, they should be sending in peacemakers. You cannot keep the peace when peace has not even been established. But nobody's called and asked me about it. But this is one area of forgiveness that a lot of times we're all a little weak in probably. We might eventually forgive somebody, but we want to enjoy our anger towards them for a little bit. That's an odd phrasing, isn't it? But I think there's some truth in it. We want Sometimes we want to enjoy our anger towards somebody rather than just release it all and forgive them. And sometimes we drag our feet with the forgiveness so that that other person can suffer just a little bit. God's forgiveness is always immediate. And because of that, that's what he expects from us. Everybody go, Ugh. That's how he does it, and that's how he wants us to do it. Immediately. Wounds always heal faster when they're dressed immediately, right? Now, I have actually heard in my almost 30 years of ministry, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'll forgive them when I feel God is telling me to. Here's a newsflash. He's telling you to right now. You don't even have to pray about it. That's another thing. In, in, in the, uh, all of our years of ministry, I am sometimes amazed at the things I hear people say, well, I need to pray about that. I'm going to rattle your cage. There's a lot of things in life you do not even have to pray about. Does that shock anyone? I'll hear people say, well, should I show love and kindness to this person? They've been so mean and I'll pray about it. You don't have to pray about it. Should I say these words that are about to come out of my mouth? Maybe I should pray about it. No, you don't have to pray about it. Should I pay my tithe? I should pray about that. You don't have to pray about it. Should I, should I forgive this person for what they've done? I'm going to need to pray about this. No, you don't. You don't need to pray about a lot of things in life. These are just a few of the things that you never have to pray about because God has already answered them in black and white in His Word. So you praying about it is not going to cause him to change his mind. Well, now, in most cases, I would say offer forgiveness, but you, <laughs> you 
you don't have to because this guy's got it coming. Do you think God is ever going to respond to you like that? But we treat him like he might, right? We pray prayers like we're thinking he might say something like that. Some things in life you don't have to pray about because it's in black and white already. It makes life so much easier. And finally, in verse 26, Jesus tells us there's going to be a very, very stiff penalty for unforgiveness. He says, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Say, the consequences of sin are very real, aren't they? And there is a penalty for unforgiveness. There's a penalty for it. Unforgiveness always leaves behind it a lot of pain and bitterness to whoever's involved. Wherever there's tension and friction, bad things are waiting to happen. Can you agree with that statement? Wherever there's tension and friction, something bad is going to happen. In 1992, how many of you remember a Texas senator named John Tower? A few of you. John Tower was killed when his plane he was flying in nosedived right into the ground. And the plane had just recently been serviced, completely gone through, A1 condition rating, engine was running fantastic. They were just befuddled at what made this thing crash. Well, what they found when they went through the wreckage, they found a propeller control gear that was almost worn down completely smooth. And what happened was that gear had been coupled with a brand new gear that had just been developed, a titanium gear, a gear that will never wear out. Well, what happened was they were right about that titanium gear. It was so much tougher, it wore the other gear that it connected with right down to a nub. And that's kind of how it is when we have an unforgiving spirit. The friction always causes some unforeseen destruction. The friction. So to boil this whole thing down, it's time for me to stop. They're starting the music. I'm just kidding. I think it's sufficient to say the world is going to be a lot better place if we can all just be Christ-like. Strive to be more Christ-like, and a big part of that is learning to be a forgiver. That's what he is. That's what he expects of us. Now here, I want to close with this. This is a theory. This is gospel according to Doug. But I have a theory that the reason that there are so many people in this world who are not Christians is not because they just don't like Christ. Because you really can't honestly dislike someone you've never met. True? I mean, after all, he loves and cares for us more than anyone else. Well, what's not to like? I think chances are much, much greater that the reason people refuse to accept Christ into their life is because they didn't like the Christians that they'd met before. That's my theory. I have to think the more Christ-like that we really are, the more people are going to like us, like Christians, want to be a Christian. The bottom line is this, the real impact of Christianity on this world is never going to depend on how well we can defend our doctrines 
how high we can raise our hands in worship or how loudly or eloquently we pray, it's always going to depend on how much we've been transformed into the image of God, like Jesus. God is all about forgiveness. We have to be all about forgiveness. First we receive it, and then we're going to extend it. Amen? It's imperative if we want to get into heaven. That's the plan we have to follow. We receive it, we extend it. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.